Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at Four Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today on this week six Wednesday preview show, it is none other than the man who wants to talk about Tom Petty this morning, John Paulson himself. Paulson, tell everyone what happened with Tom Petty Radio. Uh, well, they have a show called The Last DJ where uh, users can uh, submit a five song pl- uh, set list. And then if you get picked, you can uh, record uh, intros and outros to those and tell some stories. And uh, my submission was picked and it's uh, on Sirius XM radio this week. So pretty exciting. What was your submission? You submitted your own top five petty songs? Uh, yeah, well, it's supposed to be your top five favorite petty songs, but I did five and I don't want to ruin it for anybody that might go out there and uh, want to listen to it. But uh, I did ones that were narratively important to me and in my life, different concert stories, uh, including the time that I touched Tom Petty's boot uh, and a few other uh, deep cut songs that I really like. Very cool. We will definitely check that out in support of you. On the other end, someone who had his own passion to chase this past weekend would somehow a three hour, 22 minute marathon. Congrats to you, our director of analytics, Sam Hoppen. How are you feeling 48 hours, 72 hours later? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm feeling much better than I was 72 hours ago. That's for sure. I uh, I finally limbered up and, and did a light bike ride inside this morning and the legs are feeling much, much better than they were. I can go up and down our, our stairs without cringing at every step. Only you would work out for a marathon and then literally work out three days later. Just give us a break, buddy. Go eat a bag of chips or something. Hey, right? I took You're two gonna be days off. Life. I took two, two days, days off. Two days off is good for you. Also, congratulations to Chris Allen, who everyone knows from the Wednesday streamer show they hear on their podcast, who also completed the Chicago Marathon. So happy for both of you. Very good friends in life. A very busy show today, though, that I want to get right into because people have questions, Paulson, about Ken Walker, who if he was available on your waiver wire, obviously the top pick of the week. And I would argue the one running back we have been waiting for to splurge fab on. Not 100%, like some people say. It's only week six. Let's not get out of hand. But 75%, 90% is what I recommended as an aggressive acquisition fee. And now we have a terrific matchup for Ken Walker, who, even against the Cardinals, I think some people are tepid, and this is why it's important to discuss. Some people are worried that he may not have a pass catching role. And although that may affect his ceiling, like as a top five player, I don't think that's what we're really bidding on on waiver wires anyhow. I think we're really going for a low-end RB1, fringe RB1, which is what I think he is. Tell us about Ken Walker for both this week and the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it's a good spot. I I wouldn't have a problem putting down 100% of what I have left or 100% overall to grab uh, him in this situation because now Rashad Penny's out of the way. That was the big hurdle for for Walker. And plus, this uh, Seattle offense is a lot better than what we were expecting it to be. Uh, they can run the ball pretty well. They're throwing the ball really well. Uh, so, yes, the one concern is the passing down role. And I think like this week, DJ Dallas will be involved. I think when Travis Homer is healthy, he's tends to be the starting, uh, well, not the starting, but the, the, the passing down back, the primary passing down back. So Walker may not be in on third downs, and that is a little bit of a, a cap to his ceiling. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, fringe RB1, probably mid-range RB2 to low-end RB2 type rankings for him, kind of where Jeff Wilson is being ranked pretty weekly, you know, pretty much uh, consistently on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, and he looks pretty talented. I mean, he had the eight carries for 88 yards and the touchdown last week. He's averaging over six yards per carry on the season. So good spot to, to blow some of that fab if he's out there. Sam, as we know, Rashad Penny recorded just five targets to date through five games. Ken Walker, though, quietly has seen seven targets this year on 14 routes run. So we think he can earn targets if they give him a larger role. Sans Penny, how do you feel about Ken Walker moving forward for the rest of the season? For the rest of the season, I feel good. I mean, it, it hasn't really been in the Seahawks running back's nature to be catching, catching passes in general, uh, at least for this past several years. So I don't see it as a major concern for Kenneth Walker. If you're adding him, he you're adding him because of his rushing ability and the fact that he's hopefully going to get 18 to 20 carries a game. They played the Cardinals this week, which sometimes, you know, 
by some metrics may look tough. They allow the fourth fewest rushing yards per game, but they are 26th in explosive rushing rate allowed. So uh, if you have him, you you should plug him into your lineup right away and be confident that even even if the pass catching work doesn't come, that he he'll, he will certainly be able to make up for it with his rushing. You touched on Jeff Wilson. Paulson, I actually want to discuss him because what we saw with Tevin Coleman concertedly used on the first drive and then used throughout the game, eventually squeezing Wilson for his lowest snap rate, 58% since week two, whenever this team used two running backs as well behind Garoppolo with Tyrion Davis-Price getting 14 carries to Jeff Wilson's 18. I think there is some concern, and I believe it's valid, that Tevin Coleman can cannibalize Jeff Wilson a tad here, actually knocking him down just a hair in the ranking. Still an RB2 overall, but how do you feel about both Jeff Wilson and Tevin Coleman? Yeah, they got Coleman involved. He had two touchdowns, uh, 67 yards, uh, total yards on 11 touches. Uh, he did take some of, you know, I, I'm a little more more worried about Debo Samuel's rushing role. I think he only had two carries, if I remember correctly. I, I played him in DFS and could have had a really big week if he had come up with a good game i was sitting pretty after the early early games but he kind of put up a dud uh i think that's that's where some of his touches are coming from they're going to use him and not uh debo you know in a six or eight carry role uh like we've seen in the past he, if that if that's the case uh then he does ding up uh ding uh debo's upside and you know wilson still saw 18 touches despite this newfound involvement so i think when the 49ers are in favorable game script. Uh, they're, you know, he'll he'll be fine. I think maybe when it's time to worry is if they're, you know, not favored in a game or they're underdog and they uh, are going you know, to have to throw the ball a little bit more than they want to, and that's maybe when Wilson's uh, snaps start to dry up a little bit. And Debo didn't get his first touch until the two-minute warning, and it came off the field and started shaking his shoulder a little bit with the team's doctor. So I don't know if something happened there in that game. It was odd overall to see. We will continue monitoring that this week because you're still starting him right now anyways without any concerns. For you, though, Sam, I know like me, you play in a lot of main event leagues where it's pretty bare on waiver wires. We're all fighting for scraps right now. And so the question is, would you go for someone like Tevin Coleman or are we still prioritizing a Pierre Strong, for instance, behind Ramondre Stevenson for the next couple of weeks, a DJ Dallas behind Ken Walker for the next couple of weeks until Travis Homer returns? How are you viewing Tevin Coleman for deeper leagues? Yeah, the, when you frame it that way, it's it's interesting. I've got to going to have a conversation with uh, one of my co-managers, Connor, here in a little bit after, and, and Tevin Coleman is available for us, as, as I'm sure some of those other guys are. I I tend to lean Tevin Coleman all over those other, the, the names that you mentioned, DJ Dallas and Pierre Strong, just given sort of his pedigree, the fact that he's been with the 49ers before and has had some success. Jeff Wilson has not always been a, a beacon of health himself. So there's that contingent value as well. And I think I just generally believe a little bit more in the 49ers offense than that of the Seahawks or the Patriots right now. And it, you know, it was interesting what Paulson mentioned about them in potential negative game scripts, scripts, excuse me. Um, but Jeff Wilson actually ran a route on about 47% of the team's dropbacks this past week to only 22% for Coleman, which was shocking to see. He did get, Coleman did get one more target, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a lock that Coleman gets all of that passing work. If I could just add that uh, Tyrion Davis-Price did return to practice this week, and that's something to monitor. He was backing up Wilson when he turned his ankle, and if he... Uh, is back, then we don't know for sure if it's Coleman or Darian Davis-Price as the as the primary backup. Something to keep an eye on for week six. Also, something to monitor is Alec Pierce's increasing target share, available on a lot of waiver wires, Paulson. And what we've seen since he returned in week three from his concussion he sat out with in week two is an increasing target share in every single game leading up to Thursday night's Hellscape contest, first of all, but also a season high and team high 21.9% target share out targeting Michael Pittman nine to eight. How do you view Alec Pierce right now, who 
is in conversations to be a wide receiver three flex option if this usage holds since the bye weeks are now here. And so scrapping for these guys who have high floors is actually pretty important around numerous injuries. Yeah, I tried to pick him up in Scott Fishbowl and got outbid, uh, but his his uh, role is increasing five, six, and nine targets the last three weeks, uh, 45% snaps, 44, and then up to 60% snaps in week five. He's cleared 61 yards uh, receiving in three straight weeks. Uh, I still would have Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman's a more polished player, better player, like kind of going through a tough spot right now. Maybe defense is a little fo- more focused on him. Uh, rest of the season, but uh, certainly a Pierce is certainly a player to add a little bit raw as a route runner, but has good speed and you know, some you know, air, air yards upside uh, in that offense. And they have some good matchups coming up this week's not great against Jacksonville, they're 11th in adjusted fantasy points, a lot of receivers. But in three of the next four weeks, they have Tennessee, which is 30th, Washington, 32nd, and then Vegas, which is 28th. Uh, with a matchup against the Patriots in there as well. So, you know, some upside here for maybe Pierce and for for Pittman uh, in the next month. I think everyone wants to know, Sam, about Michael Pittman as well. Uh, is Pierce's emergence enough to make us worry about Pittman as a fringe wide receiver one, wide receiver two moving forward? Or is this a situation where you would actually be interested in buying low on Pittman wherever possible? It, it certainly does concern me i think i agree with paulson that Pittman is ahead of pierce but the gap is getting smaller and i I for sure do not see Pittman as a a wide receiver one right now definitely at the lower end of a the wide receiver two range for me josh norris friend of the show pointed out yesterday that matt ryan only has seven passes that have traveled 20 plus air yards this season. That's 3.6% of his passes, lowest in the league. But Alec Pierce has three of those seven and seems like more of a downfield threat, has an 11.2 yard average depth of target. Meanwhile, Michael Bittman's average depth of target is down to 6.4 when it was at around 9.6 last year. So Pittman is playing a much different role in this offense right now than I think what people expected. Now, again, he's getting the targets. He's averaging nine targets a game as a 23% target share as well. But it would be nice to see more of those downfield targets go to Pittman or, you know, if Ryan is actually going to throw them his way. So the way I see, I mean, There are some leagues, again, that main event team that I mentioned with Connor, that we have several other receivers that we're going to start over Michael Pittman this week because it just, I don't think that Thursday night game was that much different than what we should expect to see out of the Colts for the rest of the season. And there's clearly a untapped ceiling here for Pierce since he has yet to run more routes in any game than Paris Campbell not working in two wide sets yet, whereas Paris Campbell is still running all these routes behind Pittman, but is only averaging three targets per game. Ashton Doolin also moved to IR midweek. So there is some more meat on the bone here, a lot more actually for Pierce moving forward. Another player who's going to eat all the meat off the bone, Paulson, is Ramondre Stevenson. Damian Pierce now out for a presumed couple of weeks with that soft tissue injury that could also be re-aggravated once he returns if he doesn't return at full strength. And now the team is simply left as long as Ty Montgomery is still on IR with Pierre Strong, who's been on the active roster all year, but they have not actually had active on the game day roster yet. And then we'll see what happens between J.J. Taylor and Kevin Harris, who they've stashed on their practice squad. So I would imagine it's all now left for Ramondre Stevenson also in an amazing matchup against a very poor Browns defense who just was recently spiked by Austin Eckler for the overall RB1 week in week five. How do you view Ramondre Stevenson now? And I think we should play a name game as well, since some people probably have really good running backs and have choices to make here if they should start Ramondre Stevenson over him. But your thoughts on Stevenson first off? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I have him at five right now, and I think – uh, for this week and you're looking in the short term here with Damian Harris probably shelved for it sounded like it was a fairly serious hamstring injury uh, they haven't placed him on IR as far as I can tell so you know they're expecting him back within the next three or four weeks probably uh, but you're probably looking at you know Ramondre ranked as an RB1 if he continues uh, I think the key 
and you mentioned it was that Pierre Strong, there was no other running back available after Harris went out yeah. uh, in that game. So that's why he probably why he handled every single touch and carry and played every single snap. Uh, we will probably see some sort of rotation as is the Patriots way. Um, but the fact that they didn't have strong um, active at all, uh, you know, is kind of telling about maybe what they think of them or, you know, having their RB three active versus another position. So um, I would expect some sort of role for, for strong, but I think Ramondre is going to have the vast majority of the touches. And uh, I think he's a really good play this week. Given the matchup, Sam Ramondre Stevenson or Alvin Kamara. I'm going to go Stevenson. They play the Browns. The, they're thirtieth in adjusted fantasy points allowed. Their their rushing defense has not been great this year, and it, it looks like he's going to get all of, if not most, uh, most of the work. So I'm I'm Stevenson. I mean, I'm looking at these rankings that Paulson has. He's got him at five and half PPR, and I really don't see much case for some of the other guys that he has behind him right now. I want to do one more. We all see the rankings behind the scenes, but just to give people uh, an example of what they can be dealing with if trying to sit one or the other, Sam, Stevenson or Dalvin Cook? I'm going to go Stevenson again. I think I, I mean, it's it's tough, but because he drafted Cook so highly and he is a really good running back, Miami is not a great defense right now either. The Minnesota should be in a favorable game script, but I, I just... I, I really like the talent that Stevenson has and what we saw at the end of the game, them sort of treating him like the workhorse, I think continues to roll into week six. And, and to be fair, you're probably starting both. I mean, I don't, I don't know too many leagues where uh, teams have, uh, you know, three of these top nine players and have to bench Dalvin cook, but uh, it, it is. And I'm looking, I was looking at that cook ranking when I published rankings, I was like, well, he should be higher than just looking at the numbers and, and then Madison's role, which has been a little bit, uh, you know, bigger. It seems a little bit bigger this year than it has been in years past. I, I, I just feel like Stevenson has that stranglehold in a great matchup against the Browns. Another backfield conundrum people are dealing with because Travis Etienne this week had his largest margin of snap rate over James Robinson for the first time all year. 55% for Etienne to 41% for Robinson. And more importantly, this game against the Texans was a tie game within one score, basically, for the entirety of play. Doug Peterson even came out in his presser postgame and said, quote, it's my fault that we didn't get ETN more touches. It seems, Paulson, the train is going one direction now. So how do you view ETN and Robinson's situations both this week and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at this specific game last week, uh, 10 carries for 71 yards for ETN, 10 carries for 27 yards uh, for Robinson, and... The writing is on the wall, but I think if Robinson gets going, it might just be a hot hand sort of situation. But right now, the hot hand is ETN, so I think they're probably going to lean his way a little bit, especially if Robinson, uh, on his first few carries, doesn't you know break off a long run or two. He's played well this year, all things considered, but the last couple of games have been a little bit rough. Fifty six uh, carries, or I'm sorry, fifty six yards on eighteen carries, and then ETN is the better passing down back, so they can they can use him, and this is a you know, this is a, a Colts team that uh, is pretty good against the run, but they've yielded the seventh most uh, catches to uh, opposing running backs this year, and that's really ETN's strong suit. Sam, what are you doing with James Robinson this week, thinking that we may see an even more and higher usage rate for ETN uh, as early as week six? I do think that Robinson is still someone you can start because there is, you know, he's been pretty efficient. It was more efficient early and earlier in the year, excuse me, and has found the end zone multiple times. But there, there is a, a slight concern. I think, again, he's playing enough. He's still playing around 50% of the snaps, but has been below that each of the last two weeks while ETN's been above 50% in each of the last two weeks. The the thing, Daigle, that you pointed out is that the game in week five against the Texans was a neutral script for basically the entire game. So to see ETN getting more work in that type of game was uh, what Paulson said, I think is the writing on the wall that they may start to be featuring him 
a little bit more than just in games where they're down by a lot. So I think both are startable at this point. And I think they, they have, they both have the upside, but it's, it's likely going to be one, one or the other. One's going to have a good week and one probably isn't. It just, I think depends on who probably falls into the end zone and ETN has yet to score this year. So you got to pray that that happens this week. Speaking of one or the other, that seems like how we should be viewing the Steelers wide receivers from Kenny Pickett moving forward. Maybe we get 52 attempts for a week since we expect them to be a negative game script. But what we saw in Kenny Pickett's first official start against the Bills, down bad in the first half and forced to throw throughout the last three quarters was a team-high 25% target share for Deontay Johnson, nine targets, 17% target share for Chase Claypool, and George Pickens falling in behind them with a 15.3% target share, one target fewer than Chase Claypool. Pat Fryermuth injured mid-game. Zach Gentry comes off the bench for an 11.5% target share. Let's discuss the Steelers' wide receivers, Paulson. I would imagine we still think it's Deontay Johnson, one overall, but now do you think we have this conundrum between Claypool and Pickens, or are we still standing strong on Pickens moving forward? Uh, Pickens, six catches on 80, 83 yards on eight targets. And I uh, did tweet out, uh, you know, Pickett's 65 pass attempts thus far and how the targets have broken out. 15 for Deontay, 23%. Uh, Pickens with 12, with 18.5%. And then Claypool, 15.4%. Uh, but the other thing that uh, is important there is that Pickens is averaging 12.8 yards per target uh, from Pickett. Uh, whereas Deontay is averaging 4.7. He's going to still get his targets. He's Deontay Johnson. And Claypool averaging 5.0 yards per target. So there's something brewing there with Pickett and Pickens. And then this is going to be difficult to say, you know, Pickett and Pickens over and over again if these two get a a nice rapport going. But I I definitely would have Pickens second uh, in this passing game after Deontay, uh, you know, on a typical basis. And, And Claypool, not a distant third, but definitely a third. Sam, any in particular you still want to be high on moving forward despite the target shares we've seen through six quarters from Pickett? I I would lean Pickens over Claypool rest of season with Johnson as the, the clear one. The targets are just continue to go his way. He will continue to garner those. But Pickens, I just think, has a, a slightly higher upside, has a 15.4-yard average depth of target compared to just 9.6 for Claypool, which isn't isn't bad, but Claypool had been the deep threat in that offense in the past, and if they are going to be throwing the ball a lot more like we expect them to do, then I would want the guy who's, again, going to be getting those downfield targets and could potentially break away for a long one. So I I'm still holding all three of them right now. I think each of them could have some value and, and especially be guys that you're plugging in for other players on buys uh, over the next couple of weeks, despite their schedule, but it, it's firmly Johnson Pickens Claypool for me rest of season. Another player people are struggling with, Paulson, is Brandon Ayuk, who has averaged four targets the last two weeks since George Kittle returned, and so far through five games has not finished any higher than the wide receiver 34 in any other week. I do think we're in the territory now for bye weeks that Ayuk's floor as someone to plug in as a flex option is still fine. Like I think we're still there. We've seen his ceiling last year, but I agree. It's concerning because you basically can't use him as a wide receiver three right now. How do you feel about Brandon Ayuk? Is there any hope moving forward for seeing that ceiling we've seen in the past? Well, I think coming into the season, looking at this 49ers team, we were a little worried that uh, Trey Lance was going to be able to support three fantasy pass catchers uh, in Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. Uh, I think with Jimmy in there, it's a little bit better because he doesn't take off and run. They don't have any design runs for him, and they still kind of run the ball about the same in terms of their running back carries, Debo and Debo Samuel carries. So it's I think the the Jimmy uh, you know situation is an improvement for Ayuk, um, but only so far because they are still a fairly run heavy team. And 
you know, he saw five for 63 on eight targets in week two, and then three for 39 and a touchdown on eight targets in week three, and everything looked fine. And then, as you mentioned, just eight targets total in the last two weeks. So I think he's a low floor type player, but he's pretty good. And then you look at, and he's pretty good in terms of talent. And then you look at the upside or the upcoming uh, schedule. And he's got Atlanta, the 24th in just a fantasy points, a lot of receivers, KC, 25th, the Rams, 27th, and then they have a bye. And then the the Chargers in week 10, they're 29th in just a fantasy points, a lot of receivers. So as you mentioned before, some meat on the bone. Uh, I don't trust him. Uh, but I think in any give, given week, he could have 80 yards, 90 yards, and a touchdown if if uh, Jimmy takes a shine to him. Knowing that it would take just a ham sandwich at this point, Sam, would you trade that, hold the mustard, of course, for Brandon Ayuk? I would. I, again, I think he, he's someone, like you said, that has the potential to fill in as a, a flex or a, a wide receiver option if you're in some bi-week trouble. You know, Paulson mentioned that the – 49ers are a little bit more run heavy and overall they are, they throw about 57% of the time, or at least they have in the past three weeks with Garoppolo, but they're right at about even in pass rate over expectation over that span as well. So it's not like they're, it's more so that they're running when they have these big leads against uh, teams like the Panthers. So I, I will note that in the first week that, Kittle was back. Ayuk still got eight targets, which is is really good. I think it's just it, his ceiling is probably a little bit capped, but has a potentially decent floor again, and, and someone that I wouldn't be worried about flexing in to my roster. People are raging, Paulson, about AJ Dillon's usage. Who, after the Packers, even in having a seventy-three lead in the first half in London this past game. A.J. Dillon's share of backfield touches has now decreased in every single game, leading to a season-low 28% share of backfield touches this past week. Also, his target share has decreased in every single game, leading to a season-low zero targets at all this past game. How are we viewing A.J. Dillon as someone who watches every single snap? One, I'm sorry, and two, explain to everyone what's going on. Yeah, and if you look at his game log, it it it, it was – the, the the Giants thing was kind of a surprise because he had 18 touches against New England. He had uh, 14 touches against Tampa, 19 touches against the Bears. I'm going backwards and then uh, 15 touches against Minnesota. So it's been a uh, pretty consistent run for him, though the playing time really took a dip to 32%. Uh, and that hurt his role. But I think this is a situation where they just aren't moving the ball uh, as well as they are used to and aren't running as many offensive plays. That would be my guess. I haven't looked at the numbers. And there just aren't as many touches available in this backfield when they are trying to get their most efficient uh, running back the ball. I mean, Aaron Jones is still really good. Uh, everybody's clamoring for him to touch the ball more. Uh, and if they are going to do that, then that is going to take touches away uh, from A.J. Dillon. So he's going to have some of these games where you know maybe he has under 10 carries, you know, 40, 50 yards, does not find the end zone. He's a decent receiver, but not as good as Jones. So there's really no onus unless the Packers are leading in positive game script to really start riding Dylan. Uh, and he has that sort of upside this week against the Jets if they can get a lead um, to, in the second half, get five, six, seven carries and uh, maybe find the end zone for the for the Packers. But I think that's what's going on. I mean, you have a, you have a committee. You're going to have some... Um, some bad weeks for both players. And we've seen that with Jones and we've now, now seeing that with Dylan. After a season high, 71% of the team's backfield touches though, for Aaron Jones, I'm interested in buying low. I think you still can Sam on Aaron Jones more than anything than Dylan, because the production didn't fall over Jones, despite that increased usage behind the scenes, just the RB 32 and half point PPR leagues. So I think it's still hidden that he's seeing this increased usage weekly. Uh, as for A.J. Dillon, though, what are you doing with Dillon moving forward? Because if you want to buy low, I've even been asked in a lot of 18 team leagues, shallower leagues, is Dillon droppable for X? Is Dillon droppable for Tony Pollard or Rashad White if he's still out there? Because that's where people are with Dillon. Thus, we know we can easily just buy on him and stash him if we choose to do so. Yeah, look, this the Packers game on Sunday was happening during – the marathon, which 
originally I was upset about, but in hindsight, I'm really glad <laughs> I didn't have to go through watching that live. Uh, I did catch the final two minutes as I was waddling back to grab my bag. But as far as AJ Dillon, who you're dropping him for, I mean, the the issue is that his ceiling is always going to be capped as long as Aaron Jones is in the lineup. As long as he's playing, he's not going to have top five upside. The only way he gets to that is if Aaron Jones gets hurt. So, but the thing is with a guy like Rashad White, Rashad White has zero, you know, contingent value right now or standalone value, I should say, in that you're not going to really start him unless Fournette gets hurt. You can still start A.J. Dillon, you know, as a flex or a high-end RB3 and get some usable value out of him week to week. Obviously, this last week was, I think, a bit of an anomaly, but that's what you need to be thinking about. It's the same thing with Tony Pollard, who you mentioned, is he has some standalone value, but his ceiling is going to be capped as long as Ezekiel Elliott is in the lineup. So I think it sort of depends where your team is at. If you need immediate running back production and someone to plug into your lineup right away, Dylan is the way to go. Um, but if you need, if you're just looking for some longer term depth, then maybe Rashad White is the play type thing. So I, I think it all depends on that balancing act. You mentioned high-end RB3, and Dylan, of course, is ranked as Paulson's RB26 for Week 6. We also saw Brian Robinson get his first game action of the year this past week. And now what we've seen through five weeks is Antonio Gibson's snap rate dip in every single game, leading to a season-low rate behind both Brian Robinson and J.D. McKissick. What are we doing with both Robinson and Gibson now that we expect to be a trio of running backs involved, Paulson. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying for weeks that he was going to, he being uh, Antonio Gibson, was going to turn into a pumpkin, likely when Brian Robinson came back. And and Robinson only played 29% of the snaps, but still led the the backfield in touches with nine, nine carries for 22 yards. Wasn't real effective as a runner, but neither was Gibson. Three carries for six yards. Uh, Robinson was not targeted in the passing game while, McKissick had seven targets and Gibson had four. So I think in the short term, we're probably going to see this sort of three-headed committee. Uh, but the way this was headed prior to Robinson getting shot uh, was that he was going to be the lead back. Uh, McKissick was going to be the third down back and Gibson was just going to be a, likely probably going to likely going to be a, a straight RB2 backup for, for Robinson. Uh, he does have some ca- pass catching ability and some rushing ability. Uh, so, you know, in the short term, I think they probably rotate him with Robinson and try to get Robinson's legs under him. Uh, but we might, if if one of them starts to take off, if, if Robinson starts to take off, then I think he's going to end up being the clear lead back by midseason. Uh, but if he can't get it going and Gibson is out playing him, then you might see a role reversal. It just depends on how the, the team feels long term about Robinson, Robinson versus Gibson. I think prior to the season, it really looked like they were favoring Robinson heavily over Gibson. Is this a situation, Sam, where we are just keeping Gibson, knowing his talent, knowing the role he's had in the past, but expecting it not to continue for as long as Robinson's around? For sure, that's the case. On Sunday, Gibson had season-low marks in carries, snap rate, and high-value touches, all of which were receptions. And I believe I saw a quote from Ron Rivera saying that they're going to start to get in, uh, Gibson involved with special teams returning, which was, I think, the initial death sentence for Gibson this offseason off when he mentioned that he was going to be playing special teams. So if, if you have Gibson, I think you probably hopefully have maybe have better options at running back. I'd certainly rather play uh, the aforementioned A.J. Dillon over Gibson right now. But it looks like the tide may be turning and JD McKissick, I think is still going to continue to have his role as the pass catching guy. I was shocked to see Gibson get uh, the four targets that he did, which is somewhat encouraging, but I, I do think that right now probably neither Robinson nor Gibson is startable until we potentially see a, a shift in how those guys are used. Let's start 
with you on this one, Sam, because we've seen Austin Eckler leverage the last four games without Keenan Allen for seven and a half targets per game, seven receptions per game, and in weeks four and five, back-to-back performances as the overall RB1 and fantasy with five touchdowns in this span without Allen. Is this a situation before we know we're getting Allen back that we are selling at the utmost highest point for Eckler, or are we riding this out given the landscape of the running back position behind him? It's it's tough. So so like you said, he's got five touchdowns in his last two games, did not score one in the first three weeks. Eckler does have at least five high-value touches in every game this season. He's the only running back to have that. So I it's tough because there are so few good running backs right now, and I struggle to sell high knowing that and knowing what a great commodity you would have in Eckler and his fantasy value. So I'm probably not. Now, if you're getting like a massive haul for him, then now is probably the the time to do it. But I'm not actively going out and shopping Eckler on my teams. But that said, like I said, if if you get some, you know, blown away offer that you can't refuse, then I don't have any issues with it. Your thoughts, Paulson? Well, I think, you know, this is this is Eckler. He was a top five drafted running back. He's performing at a top five level. I wouldn't run out and try to get rid of him. Uh, as Sam mentioned, I guess if you're you're getting amazing offers, uh, it's worth thinking about, you know, like uh, McCaffrey plus a, a wide receiver two or wide receiver one. That might be something that would be interesting with this regime change in Carolina. Um, but I, I just don't think that those trades happen too often. I mean, I wouldn't, if I have Eckler, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. I think I, I don't, I don't think that Keenan Allen is going to be a huge detriment to Eckler as he comes back. Cause we've seen the two play together and Eckler has been really productive in, in years past. Let's move on to our charts, which we have live for everyone at 1 PM Eastern every Wednesday for the matchup show. And I know, Sam, you want to discuss the Saints offense beginning with Alvin Kamara's usage. So he's been a, a, an interesting case this year because he played week one, he was out week two, played week three, he was out week four, and then played in week five. So he's been a little frustrating to have on your team because he's he hasn't been consistently on the field. But when he has been on the field, he's getting 21.3 opportunities per game. That's seventh among running backs. He's averaging 5.7 targets per game, also seventh, and has a 69% snap rate. So when he's on the field, when he's in the game, he's on the field, and Mark Ingram is just sort of pushed to the side. Kamara has yet to find the end zone, and I think a lot of that is due to the biggest thorn in every Alvin Kamara manager's side is Taysom Hill. And he is going to continue to vulture some of those touchdowns. So that said, I do think Kamara is a buy low because I think that, again, they they are lacking some playmakers with Michael Thomas being out the last couple of games, Jarvis Lander being out, Chris Olave exiting the game last week with a concussion. And if he's on the field, again, he's getting all of that usage. And I think the touchdowns will eventually come but it is it has been an interesting ride for Kamara again who was a a top 10 running back drafted in the season I I haven't heard the latest on uh his trial or anything going on and whether that's going to happen this year but it, it feels like if it hasn't at this point then it's not going to so that really shouldn't be a concern so I'm I would potentially be I'd be buying low on Alvin Kamara right now and with both back healthy this past week, Paulson, Taysom Hill, three carries inside the 10-yard line, Alvin Kamara, zero. That's not to say don't buy long Kamara. I agree with Sam. But the question then becomes for Taysom Hill, who is the pivot? How long can it stay since he's scored a touchdown in every week, three or four games, that he's been healthy and played 20% of the team snaps? And then we saw a season high, 31% of snaps this past week. If you ask me, like, yes, Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry were not available. But I think the the pivot for Taysom Hill, right, is if Andy Dalton's under center. If Jameis Winston's out, I think that means Taysom Hill is more involved 
because they feel like they don't have a choice. And then it becomes, who do we start Taysom Hill over? So please explain to everyone what the hell's going on with the tight end three in points per game right now. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen that in a couple places that it's Dalton is leading, you know, the fact that they have Dalton is leading to Taysom Hill, his usage. And, I, you know, I don't know that Jameis Winston is this giant improvement over Dalton right now. Uh, given that he's got four fractures, fractures in his back. He didn't play particularly well this season. And maybe this was the plan all along, or at least they were going to give him an op, you know, give it an option with, with Hill and use him in this wildcat because he, you know, he's not, he's not a tight end. He's a running back. In my opinion, he's got 20 something carries, 21 carries, one catch, one pass attempt. Uh, that's a running back to me, but it doesn't matter because he's listed as a tight end. And in a, in a year with the, tight ends that we have he is i think he's startable you're gonna have a really low floor um but he's fairly likely to score a touchdown any given uh week i would say better than a 50 chance right now and could score multiple touchdowns and i think in you know at the start of the year when we saw what his usage was going to be it looked like he was going to maybe get I, I looked at it and he was getting three to four in, in games that he didn't start at quarterback, he was getting three to four rushing attempts just as like a, a side piece, a little, you know, wrinkle in their offense. And so, so I was expecting basically three to four carries for about 25 yards, and then maybe you get a touchdown. So with that floor, uh, that's not bad for the tight end position, uh, given what we have. I mean, you're looking at Irv Smith. He's not producing anything more than that. He's ranked, you know, as a low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two this week. Um, and I think you have this 40 point upside, which we saw, uh, this is obviously a problem for Kamara in terms of goal line, uh, touches. So that's, that's the issue there. But if he's going to see 29 touches, that doesn't matter. If he had 17 against Carolina in week three, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, my concern with Kamara coming in was that he was limited a bit in touches whenever Mark Ingram was healthy, but now it's not Mark Ingram. It's, it's Taysom Hill as the backup running back basically. So uh, from a from a tight end standpoint, I would, if you need a tight end and Hill is on the on the waiver wire, I would go pretty heavy on that. I would love to have him now instead of some of the jokers that I've got on a couple of my rosters. Um, but you just have to be prepared for a zero, not a zero, but a three. Um, and you know you're probably going to get ten with a touchdown and thirty yards, but you know, maybe you get a 40 point game like this. No, there are no other tight ends out there other than Kelsey and Andrews that are really capable of putting up 40. I guess TJ Hawkinson did it a couple weeks ago, but you know, it, it, it's far and few between you have that sort of upside at the tight end position. And TJ Hawkinson needed the entire team to be out around him in order to reach that ceiling for Taysom Hill. We say low floor and I agree, but also it's still surprising to see he's finished as a top 15 tight end in three or four games and a top three tight end and two of four reaching that crazy ceiling you mentioned. People will have questions on the waiver wire because, for instance, let's say Cam Braid is out. We saw Kate Otten's elite usage with a route on 84% of dropbacks, 13.5% target share, and he led the team in red zone targets. He actually got better usage than Braid has seen all year long. Would you start Taysom Mill over Kate Otten, for example, if Braid is out? I would. Uh, I think given what's going on right now in new Orleans, uh, Braid is back this week. I guess he's, he's back at practice today. So okay. that may be a kind of a moot point, but these are interesting questions because uh, you sort of have to look at, uh, Taysom Hill against all these guys. Uh, and the fact that Taysom doesn't really catch any passes and they just have to hand it to him. And we know he's going to get three or four touches minimum. And he, you know, they, they will start to have him throw it once in a while too. And you know, he'll have a passing touchdown. I think he had, do you have one this last week? Uh, I think he did. So, yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I would start Taysom Hill over a lot of these uh, tight end twos that are, you know, a lot of fancy owners are trying to to deal with right now. Evan Ingram also had 10 targets, second on the team this past game. And I would start Taysom Hill over him. No questions asked. Not even thinking about Evan Ingram's 10 targets. Sam, one more quickly to go to you so you can get involved in this fun, quote unquote, fun game we're playing. Hunter Henry, right, 98% of snaps, literally an every down option without Jonu Smith this past game. Let's say Jonu Smith is out again. We're probably not going to know until this weekend since the Patriots hide their injury report from everyone. Would you start Taysom Hill or Hunter Henry if Smith is out? I I still got to go Taysom Hill. I mean, he's got a, so, a, such a higher ceiling than all of these guys and has the same exact floor as 
literally every tight end. Um, it's just kind of fun how we can uh, start on our running back conversation and end up with tight end talk <laughs> thanks to Taysom Hill. As someone who loves burning traditions to the ground, uh, I'm all here for Chase Bill breaking the annual conversation we always have and having faith in late round tight ends that never work out. It, it, of course, was the one that isn't even a tight end who eventually hit as a late round tight end. Let's also talk about the Cowboys' backfield usage. We saw in week five that no running back or tight end had a single catch for this Dallas team in week five against the Rams, but it didn't even matter because the Rams offense and Matthew Stafford are completely broken right now. And for some reason, 11 point favorites over a Panthers defense that has more athletes than the Rams have on offense. That's another podcast for another day. Sam explain what's going on with the Cowboys backfield. Yeah. So Sam Monson over at PFF tweeted out yesterday that Tony Pollard is averaging 0.6 more yards after contact this season than Zeke is averaging total. So earlier in the season, it's sort of, you know, Pollard had had gotten off to a bit of a slow start. Zeke kind of looked a little spry, but it it is shifting back towards how Pollard clearly being the better back. Oh, this season, Pollard is averaging 1.7 rushing yards over expected per carry. Zeke is down to negative 0.73 rushing yards over expected per carry. So this is, again, a situation that, not to repeat myself too much, but both of them have startable value. They're both going to continue to cap each other's ceilings, but it makes me a little bit more confident in Pollard moving forward that, you know, maybe this starts to show that he is truly the better running back and gets some more opportunity. So I think... I don't know if there's really a buy low opportunity for Pollard, but if I have him on a team, I'd be excited about where this could potentially be going. I just, I just wonder how often do we need to do this? Uh, like we've seen Pollard be the better back and it's just never mattered. Right. That's my concern. Like and, even, be, even behind the scenes, Pollard this week, his eight touches, uh, a 27% share of the team's backfield touches. That was a season low mark. So I would argue, like, it doesn't matter if you rush for 200 yards. It doesn't matter. How long are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't need to pour cold water on no, the No, no, no. But, like, the, and, the rates behind the scenes were actually worse than they've ever been. He's just good. That's what he does. But the team doesn't know that. And that's and that's fair. It's – maybe we should put a, a, no, a block I, I think, on talking I think about this backfield the rest of the season. I mean, it's – it's just an interesting dynamic because, again, aside from the Packers' backfield, I think this is really one of the few where they'd have two really good running backs, I guess the Browns as well, and but they're starting and continuing to play this guy that everyone sees is not as great, but because of Jared Jones is uh, continuing to get some touches. So I think the question – the better question to ask is, for instance, in shallow leagues, and please, on social media, don't – First ballot, not in my league, bro me. I don't care about your league. Let's talk about shallower leagues right now. Some people do have a question, oddly enough, because they're in such shallow leagues that they can drop, for instance, A.J. Dillon, who we talked about earlier, for Tony Pollard. Would you make that trade? I would because I, I as shocking as this is, I, I believe a little bit more in the Cowboys offense. I Like I could just be like going crazy right now, but I think – with Dak Prescott potentially coming back, I I think Pollard is a slightly more elusive rusher. And Dylan, it, it's so close. I, I would lean Pollard. That is a, a gut instinct. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Paulson, let's go to you for Zeke. Because... We've now seen he has one finish inside the top 30 running back. So although this usage is good, it's like the devil's advocate to Sam's argument is that it doesn't matter. They still use him, right? So he's still a low-end RB2 in your rankings because of this usage. Are we just biting the bullet on Zeke continuously thinking this is who he is, a player who leads the team in backfield touches every week, but the ceiling lacks unless he scores touchdowns? How are we looking at Zeke moving forward? Yeah, I have him in our uh, FFPC main event league, and we benched him this last week, and he's going to be starting this week due to injuries. But uh, he's just a high-touch floor guy who is touchdown-dependent right now. 
they aren't throwing the ball to the running backs much at all. Uh, but I think that his whole outlook could improve once Dak Prescott's back and this offense theoretically is scoring more touchdowns because that's going to give him more opportunities. He is the goal line back. Um, even in a, in a game where, you know, he didn't score that many points. He saw 22 carries, 19 carries the week before with two receptions. So he's over 20 carries or touches per game the last two weeks. Um, and that's not going to change. Like you guys listen, you guys talk is just like, it doesn't matter. Ezekiel Elliott is going to be the RB one, uh, in this backfield. Uh, it's, they're never going to turn the keys over to Pollard unless Ezekiel's hurt uh, or he's not on the team anymore. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm disappointed with the the efficiency, you know, 3.8 yards per carry for him. You know, he did look really good at the start of last season prior to the knee injury, was running very well. I do think part of this is that they've got Cooper Rush at quarterback. Uh, the offensive line is not as good as it has been in years past. So, um, I think my hope is that as somebody that's holding Ezekiel is that when Dak comes back, this offense takes off a little bit. There's an extra touchdown available per game. And he starts to find the end zone because he's only got one touchdown right now. And that doesn't, you know, in five games, that's not his usual rate at all. Someone I won't yell at you about Sam is Jacoby Myers, because we've now seen that Jacoby Myers has led the Patriots in targets and all three games he's been available for this year, averaging quietly a 31.5% target share on the season. How do you feel about Jacoby Myers moving forward? I feel a little bit more confident in in this. It, it threw me for a tizzy there with the Pollard versus Dylan question. But we were, we, were Myers, yelling, we were yelling with each other, not at each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but Jacoby Myers has had, again, a solid season so far. He's only played in three games, so that's the issue. But Fourth among wide receivers in target share is averaging nine targets per game. Sixth in receiving yards per game. Sixth in yards per route run. Tenth in targets per route run. So he's playing exceptionally well and has sort of distanced himself from the rest of the Patriots wide receivers. It's just a, a question of does he continue to stay healthy for sure? And will this offense sort of peter out eventually with a combination of Bailey Zappi and Brian Hoyer or even Mac Jones. So I think if you're, if you're looking for and you know, what to do with Myers, he could be a potential sell high candidate because I think there are some, some other receivers in that sort of range that offer a little bit more upside to, despite what, Myers has shown this season. I mean, he's now finding the end zone seemingly every week. So uh, that is is huge for him. But it's it's more so just thinking that this Patriots offense is going to revert a little bit given some of the teams that they've faced the last couple of weeks. Your thoughts on Myers, Paulson? Well, I had to look at his game log because Sam said that he's scoring a touchdown every week and he, he has one touchdown on the season. So I just had to double check that. It's okay, Sam. Oh, <laughs> I thought he scored multiple times. Yeah, I just can't he, get these Patriots wide receivers sitting he did, straight. He did have nine for 95. Uh, you just ran a marathon. The, You're excited. I guess this is, I get, yeah, I totally give you a pass on that. I would never run a marathon. I could never do it. Um, he, yeah, if we like, if we get another touchdown from him, I think it'd be tough to like try to trade him away and get some really good value for him because I don't think that the fantasy community believes that he's a guy who could score, you know, six touchdowns, eight touchdowns in a season. Uh, but if he gets another one this week or has another big game, I mean, we've got ni 95 yards and then 111 yards back to back. He did it with two different quarterbacks. Uh, that's a really good sign. Uh, this was surprising that he came out and had this sort of game coming off injury with Bailey Zappi at quarterback. I, that This was very a pleasant surprise, I think. And he's more of a PPR value than anything because of the lack of touchdowns. But, you know, this passing attack is tough to gauge. They've got Tyquan Thornton back, uh, Devontae Parker, I think caught, uh, uh, drew a couple of long uh, pass interference, but didn't do anything else. Um, Nelson Aguilar, uh, I think, got benched uh, after bobbling. It, it turned into bobbling a pass. It turned into an interception. So it's just after Meyer. He's like the only dependable guy. They aren't throwing to the tight ends much 
like Myers is the only dependable guy in this passing game other than Ramondre Stevenson probably. And um, so I think he's got value from that standpoint because you're pretty certain that he's going to see quite a few targets each week. Let's discuss the Cardinals wide receivers for everyone because a lot has been happening and a lot more is going to happen after this week with DeAndre Hopkins returning. But a lot has been happening and Marquise Brown now averaging 12.2 targets, a 27% target share since week two. And Rondell Moore kicking Greg Dortch off the field entirely with A.J. Green healthy this past game, moving back into the slot for 83% of his routes and the same shit we saw last year with a two-yard depth of target. I don't even know if I can cuss on this podcast, but whatever. Anyway, Sam, explain what's going on with the Cardinals wide receivers. I I mean, I think you can drop any all the Cardinals wide receivers except Brown and Hopkins. I mean, Moore is ran out on 95% of the team's dropbacks, has an 18% target share in the last two games, but he's still being used as a gadget player, like you said, the Cardinals have the 19th highest pass rate over expectation at negative 1.7%. So they're definitely not passing the ball a ton. And it is one of the more concentrated passing attacks with Zach Ertz also getting involved as well. And I just think when Hopkins comes back in week seven, it's going to be Brown, Hopkins, and Ertz. And that's you know basically going to be it. And there's going to be a couple of the remaining targets spread out among some of these other players. So it's this whole, these past several weeks, we've been looking for someone to step up and see if they could, you know, potentially not, not necessarily compete with Hopkins when he returns, but at least earn some more targets when he returns. And, and that just doesn't look to be the case. What are you doing with these wide receivers, Paulson, knowing that Hopkins is returning next week? Yeah, I just think with uh, Rondell Moore, I mean, seven for 68 on eight targets last week. He had five targets the week before. He'll carry the ball. And I would hold him another week uh, and see if he has a good game, you might be able to flip him. I think I do think that he his like, weekly uh, value is going to decrease significantly once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Because we're seeing Mar- Marquise Brown with double-digit targets. Hopkins is going to see a lot of targets. And there just isn't going to be much left. But this week, uh, I have him listed as a sneaky start. He's got a nice matchup with Kobe Bryant. Uh, that's C-O-B-Y Bryant, uh, the Seattle slot receiver, who is the worst in, in terms of fantasy points allowed per route uh, in that Seattle uh, secondary. So there's a chance that he has a nice week this week, and then maybe you could package him or you know flip him for somebody that has some upside uh, from another roster. But I do think that that's everything's going to dry up here week seven when uh, DeAndre gets back. I also think personally, DeAndre Hopkins, yes, was the wide receiver 18 in points per game. But also, given how everyone is viewing him, they think he has this immense wide receiver one ceiling after those fantasy points per game and what he averaged in terms of catches, targets, and receptions per game uh, and yards per game, I should say. Like, that was actually his lowest per-game averages since 2013 last year. And the trend is only going one direction at age 30. So I actually think I'm trying to sell DeAndre Hopkins as well for higher than he's perceived before he returns to the field in this offense. For instance, if you can get, let's say, A.J. Brown, for example, who has somewhat let people down, not only last week, but Devontae Smith has a higher target share the last four weeks. Maybe I'm trying to sell high. I would say Gabriel Davis as well. If he didn't just blow up, maybe Miles Sanders as well, since we've seen Miles Sanders continue to hoard a team high share of backfield touches without Boston Scott. So I, I'm fine selling high, given the perception around DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, and he, might be, uh, he might be he might be a player that coming off of a six you know week break has a good game or two, and then you know age starts to show a little bit. Um, but you know, like what about Michael Pittman? Could you think you could get Michael Pittman for? For Andrew Hopkins right, right now, now, I actually think so. Yeah. And yeah. and that's the kind of players I'm looking for with Hopkins. Not to say he can't be a wide receiver one, but given what he showed last year, I'm going to bet he can't be. And I want to, again, use the perception to, to leverage him for more, even more than what we think he's going to become. I love the yeah, 50, idea. Yeah. 57 yards average last year in 10 games versus 88 the year before. So definitely a drop off for him. Let's end with some lightning round here because 
there are many start sick questions people have that we honestly just can't answer because we're waiting for injury reports to shake out, but we can pretend at least. And it starts with Eno Benjamin, since we know the Cardinals signed Tyson Williams to their practice squad, ominously hinting that one, if not two, if not three of these running backs around Eno Benjamin won't be out after all three suffered injuries, leaving ben Benjamin as the only running back. So let's just go back and forth here. If James Conner's available and Eno Benjamin's healthy, what are we doing with Eno Benjamin Paulson? Uh, if if Connor plays, I'll have him, you know, ranked as a like a high end RB three, low end RB two, uh, with Benjamin uh, a little bit lower than that. Because if, if they're trying to make him active, I think he's good enough to carry the ball. I don't think he's going to play though. So I think you're looking at Eno Benjamin uh, as the lead as the lead back, and I think Daryl's going to be out too with a knee injury. So not to ramble, you're trying. I'm trying to do lightning round, <laughs> but no, no, no. This is the situation people have. Yeah, I just don't think Connor's going to play. I think Eno is a is a RB two, especially in this game against the uh, the Seahawks. I mean, it's going to be a high scoring game. And you don't think Daryl Williams plays either, since it's only one uh, yeah. Team. I think they're, I think they're both out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then how are you viewing Eno Benjamin? Sam, let's go to you. If everyone is out and they are forced to just simply call up Tyson from the practice squad as the only backup. Uh, if if Eno's the only healthy one of that group and it's just Tyson that he's competing with. I, I mean, he's probably, uh, I mean, uh, looking at the RB one, it's probably not an RB one, but uh, certainly in the RB two conversation, it's someone that you should definitely be excited to start. I also just want to note and remind everyone that in week two, whenever James Conner left early, Daryl Williams out touched, you know, Benjamin eight to five and handled the team's only two running back carries inside the 10-yard line. So I actually, if they were both healthy, again, we don't think Darrell Williams will play, but if they're both healthy, I still lean Darrell Williams over Eno Benjamin, given the evidence we've already seen this year. Paul, and Don't they have Keontae Ingram as well? They do have Keontae Ingram. I actually okay. forgot about him. Okay, um, all right. I just wanted to mention him. Don't, tells don't you everything forget about you him. Know about Keontae Ingram. Yeah, let's not forget about him. Tyson Williams yeah. and Keontae Ingram, let's say. We are still starting, you know, Benjamin. Uh, yes. Isaiah McKenzie, clear concussion protocol. So let's just assume he returns this week in the 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 blow-up match of the century, the nuclear war between the Chiefs and Bills. How are we viewing both McKenzie and Shakir? Now, I, I am a McKenzie fan. I have McKenzie on, like, all my actively managed teams. I was going out of my way to draft him. Uh, I... Really wanted him to play last week so that Shakir didn't get a big opportunity. Uh, so I'm heading into this week. I, I definitely think McKenzie's ahead of Shakir, but I am worried that they're going to split snaps between the two of them like they did with Crowder and McKenzie. I still am going to start Mc, uh, McKenzie here and there, but he's not a must-start. I think I have him at 38 and half, half PPR. Uh, it's going to be a, a wild game probably against the Chiefs. Could be a lot of touchdowns scored, and he's he is a, a touchdown scorer. At least he has been this year. Um, but I, I think my one concern with it is that they, you know, force Shakir on the field for 40, 50% of the snaps. And that's probably going to come at the expense of, of McKenzie. Rest of season, Sam, all things considered, Isaiah McKenzie or Khalil Shakir? I'm going to go with Isaiah McKenzie. I, I understand the concern that Paulson has about them getting Shakir more involved, given what he's shown. But I think over the balance of the season, that levels out and McKenzie is better. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it's a concern from McKenzie's value, you know, value relative to Shakir. I think he's ahead of Shakir. I think the issue is that he, Shakir is going to play enough to keep uh, McKenzie from getting that 70, 80 percent uh, snap rate that we really, you know, that's what Cole Beasley was seeing last year when he had, you know, eighty-two. Actually, the last two years, eighty-two catches in the last two years. That's what's standing in the way of McKenzie having that sort of of uh, a season. And finally. The Broncos running back situation, because what we saw on Thursday night, I'm all, already forgetting because I'm trying to remove that game from my brain entirely. Uh, Melvin Gordon, 18 touches. Mike Boone, 10 touches. We expect Latavius Murray to be active this game, I assume. What are we doing with the Broncos running backs, Paulson, in terms of rankings, assuming Latavius Murray is active as well? Yeah, well, Gordon looks like the clear RB1. I've got him ranked as a mid-range RB2. I think he's a really safe start. It's also a revenge game for him. Uh, Boone, I think, did well in his audition as the RB2. I mean, 10 touches, uh, 38 yards rushing, 47 yards receiving. Um, 
solid outing for him. So they can bring uh, Latavius along slowly and wait for one of these guys to make a mistake and start to ramp up his snaps. But I don't see it happening. There's no, re- there's no reason to rush uh, Latavius out onto the field right now unless they, for some reason, are really down on Mike Boom. It doesn't seem like they are, given the fact that they gave him 10 uh, touches last week. Sam, what else do you have coming out this week for everyone at 444.com amid applying muscle cream to yourself? Uh, Hopping to Conclusions was out this morning, so you can check that out now. Have the breakout article coming tomorrow morning as well. My week six matchup thread on Twitter tomorrow. So, yeah, just all that and doing some more recovery. Paulson, what else for you coming out at 444 this week? Well, Sneaky Starts just got uh, published, and I'm doing my weekly uh, AMA on the Discord on Thursday. And if anybody listening or watching uh, still doesn't have a subscription, we've discounted our rest of season subscriptions at 444. There's also ways to get a free sub. If you uh, go to the site, hit the subscribe button, you can see a number of partners uh, that will give you a free sub just for depositing at their site, uh, just uh, keeping up with rankings the rest of the week. You can probably get 25% off if you ask nicely. It has to be nicely, though. Until then, we will be back, of course, Paulson, on Friday with Anthony, TJ Hernandez, and myself back on Friday afternoon, 6.30 p. Eastern, live on the 444 YouTube for our weekly DFS conversation. And then, of course, we will be in the Discord all in our own AMAs and chats throughout the week. Until then, be a little bit kinder than what's fun. We'll see you next week.